join together in the prayer for illumination. O God of light, in your light we see light. Make us ready to hear what you have for us today, Lord God of all creation. Lord God, who made us, who knew we would be sitting here in this moment, in this space, hearing these words. You are intentional with us. And we are grateful that we can partake in your plans and your purposes, that you created us for your glory to live with you in communion to live in fellowship with one another. So we ask you to teach us your ways, to make known to us your heart today. We pray for Pastor Nathan as he brings your words to us. By your spirit, guide him. Give him the words to speak. Give us attentiveness and openness of heart and ability to understand and receive whatever you give us today, Lord God. Amen. The scripture reading today is in Galatians chapter 4, verses 12 to 20. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first, and though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I have again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Thank you, praise team. That was wonderful. And you guys sounded great too. Mandy, thanks a lot. And for those in the booth, thank you. There's a lot of moving pieces that go on, and I just want us to remember, like there's a lot of people that are giving time and effort and energy, and it's really great. I want to start uh, by a confession uh, this morning. You know, there are some sermons you write that are just easy. I'm sorry, is it, I'm just, I'll be honest. Like, there's some sermons you write, it's just easy, kind of just flow together. And there's some sermons you sit down to write, and it's just increasingly difficult. Maybe the text is difficult, maybe, I don't know, just difficult. But then there are some that are difficult because you realize in the moment, wait a second, uh, this is really hard. Not to understand, but to live. Because the beauty of being a preacher, right, is that you get to have the sermon preached to you first. I mean, ideally, that's the point. 
Sometimes we're able to ignore that pretty well, but there are some passages where you just can't ignore it. And so my confession this morning really is this, because it was painful. This, this, preparing this text was painful, just to be honest with you, it was painful. And the reason why is because if I'm honest, and here's my confession, a lot of what Paul is going to invite us to do, I have really messed up in my life. I mean, when it comes to caring for other people, it seems so easy, right? It seems so simplistic, but it's very complicated, and it's very complex. And so I just, I just say that, my, my fear of saying that is that I'm, I, you're interpreting or, or potentially interpreting, I'm trying to make this about me, which I'm not, I'm trying to do the opposite. I'm just letting you know, hey, I stink at this. And I'm growing with you. And this is something that is so beautiful and wonderful. And so I'm not up here as an expert on how to care for people. I'm not. I'm, on, I'm up here as someone who's failed this miserably and wants to get better. And I think God is inviting all of us to grow in this particular area. Is that fair? Have you ever been cared for? Like in a significant way. Like are there points in your life where you can look back and say, man, that was a time I needed help and someone, st- someone stood up and really helped me out. I mean, I think it could be like a specialized care position, like maybe a doctor aided you medically. Maybe it was a therapist. Maybe you had some anxiety or emotional things going on, or a therapist was able to come in and help. Maybe it was more of a familial setting. If we think back to our younger days, maybe a parent or a parental figure stepped in in a time where we felt wayward or felt lost, and they really were able to help us, and they cared for us in those moments. Maybe it was a friend. Everyone needs a good friend who every once in a while genuinely cares for them. See, I think regardless of the vehicle, all of us at some point in time, it may be difficult, but all of us can reflect back on time where people cared for us, and it made a difference. And again, it doesn't matter if it was a specialized care or a general care. The common thread between all of those instances is that we felt seen. We felt encouraged. We felt courageous. We felt like even though we live in this world that often is very dark and very dim, that there was hope on the horizon. See, caring is powerful. It's absolutely honoring and wonderful, and it's also incredibly difficult, especially when we reverse and it's our time to care. It becomes really daunting at times, if we're honest. I mean, it does for me, and I think it does for a plethora of different reasons, but one of the primary reasons is because oftentimes we're so afraid to put ourselves out there knowing, or at least thinking we know, that we're not going to get a return on that investment in the way in which we want to. Because people are messy. And every time you care, you're sticking your neck on the line for someone, as it were. And sometimes it works out. In my experience, a lot of times it doesn't work out. And so we, ha- we create this aversion to, to caring for people in a very real way. But yet at the same time, we, I don't have to convince really anyone that caring for other people is a good thing. Now, whether you're religious or, or, or not religious, you know, whether you've been a Christian a long time or you're like kicking the tires of this Christianity thing, like you intuitively know in the culture that we live in, as much as we are often tempted to talk bad about it and stuff, like our culture as a whole enjoys and celebrates when people care for people, right? 
So in a real sense, we all believe what St. Francis of Assisi said, for in giving, it's we receive. And we all have people in our lives that we long for or desire to see them healed in some significant way. And we want to care for them. Because we intuitively, whether we have ever read any C.S. Lewis books or not, we believe what C.S. Lewis wrote about when it comes to the value of a human being. How human beings are not ordinary people. There's no such thing as an ordinary person. You and I have never talked to a mortal, a mere mortal. Nations, civilizations, arts, like these things are mortal. And their lives to ours is that of a gnat. But it's the immortals with whom we joke, whom we love, whom we work with, who we marry, who we exploit. See, humans are ultimately immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. We intuitively believe that, and ultimately, I think wherever you are on the religious spectrum, we want to believe the greatest thing about life, the greatest thing to be pursued is what Jesus, in fact, taught. To love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to do what? To love others as yourself. Or to care for others the way that you care for yourself. We all intuitively want to believe that. It's, it's, I don't think we live in a culture that doesn't value that. We do live in a culture that, where there's a disconnect between knowing that that's a good thing and being able to do it. There's a disconnect between our desire to do that, regardless of outcome, and our ability to do that, regardless of outcome. That's where the disconnect is. And it's in that space Paul gives us a real gift here in Galatians 4. In Galatians 4, like, the, Paul is going to both model and show what caring for someone really looks like. And listen, spoiler alert, it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable, and it's daunting, and it's hard, but it's necessary. It's necessary because this is what God is inviting us to do. As his people, he is inviting us to care for people in ways in which other people will never receive the care, the care like this. He's inviting us to do this. And again, it's not because anyone is saying that caring is bad. It's that we need motivation to do so. We need the ability to do so. And Paul's going to show us that on, that will only come from a certain location and only a certain source. So here's the question I want to unpack this morning with our time, in our time together. What does it truly look like to care for someone? What does it really look like for us to truly care for someone else? Let me pray and then we'll jump into it. Lord, you are our only teacher. Would you challenge us, Lord, where we need to be challenged this morning? Would you encourage us where we need to be, where we need to be encouraged? And Father, would Jesus be the hero of the story that you're writing in our lives as individuals and as a community? Father, may we care for people and love people the way that you're inviting us to. Even though it's hard and it's difficult, Lord, give us a desire because you've given us such a great Savior that's made these things possible. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Truly caring for people starts in a very uncomfortable place and ends in a very uncomfortable place. So each of these observations I'm going to make, I'm just telling you now, they're uncomfortable, right? Necessarily so. I think they're exciting, but at the same time, they're uncomfortable, okay? But we're there together. 
So where does Paul start in this whole deal of caring for people? He starts meeting people where they are. True care begins with meeting people where they are. If you look at verse 12, he says, I entreat you, become as I am. Why? Because I've also become as you are. Like, as soon as Paul comes to the Galatians, this region of people and these churches that he has planted, like, he comes to them and they accept his care. And the question is, why? You know, there are other religious gurus around that they could have gravitated to. Spoiler alert, that's part of the problem of Galatians. But nevertheless, when Paul comes, they accept him. And the question is, why? Well, he doesn't say anything as to, like, his intellect being the reason why they come. Oh, Paul, you're so smart, we're going to follow you. And he does have a massive intellect. He doesn't say anything about his status in the church or his, or his, uh, his, his role as, as this you know, great apostle, which he could have because he is. But no, no, those are not the reasons why he gives as to why they received his care. Why did they receive his care? Well, it's simple. They accepted him because he became like them. That's it. He became like them. He, she offered a window into his life, and he cared for them in a such a way that they probably had never been cared for before. And then they embraced him. He met them where they were as people. This is so simple. At the same time, it's unbelievable. Paul comes to them, meets them where they are, in the midst of their broken dreams, in the midst of their happiness, in the midst of their frustrations, in the midst of their joys and failures. Regardless, he meets them right there. Because caring for people, and I think this is what he's modeling and inviting us into, into considering, that caring for people begins not where you think someone should be, but rather where they are. It doesn't, it doesn't start where you think they should be. I mean, let's, let's be honest. Again, this is difficult. This is hard. And I think there's a lot of reasons why this is hard. But I'll put, my, let me, I'll put myself on the chopping block and I'll say, I think the number one reason in my life that this has been hard for me is this. It's hard for me meeting people where they are because historically I've had such an inflated view of where I think I am. And I think many of us share this perspective. If we come into a relationship or a situation where we know we need to care for this person or this individual, and we automatically think that we're on a higher ground than them, it alters and defines the relationship in ways in which I don't think is, is good. It puts us in a position as the helper, the fixer, right? And I won't ask you, but rhetorically, I'll ask you rhetorically, have you ever been in that situation? It's overwhelming. And we put ourselves in that situation because we come to this person who has these issues and needs this healing, and automatically we assume that we're just in a better place than them and that we can fix them or help them. That's not how Paul comes to the Galatians. Do they have problems? Yes. Do they have anxieties? Yes. Are they broken? Absolutely. But he comes as they are. He meets them where they are. He doesn't have these explicit expectations for where they should be. Now, he wants them to go to a, grow into a different place. That's not what I'm saying. But initially, he's, he's embracing where they are. Listen, can I say something that is hard? I'm, I'm going to say it anyways, but at least, you know, cognitively assent with me for a second. Like, Christians, I think in particular, I think we have got to nail this down, this meeting people where they are thing, for no other reason than when we don't meet people where they are. When we refuse to do that, it is just showing that we have a gross misunderstanding of the gospel. Because God has not done this to you or me. The message of the gospel is not clean yourself up, 
Put yourself on a moral, moral high ground. You know, get yourself right, and then God will care for you. No. Paul, in another place, tells us exactly how the gospel is. In Romans 5, 8. For while you and I were still sinners. Do you know what that means? That means when we were in the midst of enjoying our most rebellious acts against God and loving every second of it, in that, in that moment, Christ dies for us. So God doesn't say, clean yourselves up and then come to me. He meets us where we are. And oftentimes, I think we gross, at least at a minimum, we grossly misunderstand that message when we treat people the polar opposite. When we're not willing to attempt or even learn what it, what it looks like to meet someone where they are. So, the, so how can we do that? <laughs> and it's hard because people are messy. We're messy. It's incredibly difficult. But here's one way that I've been trying to do that. Remember, I said we're all on the same page. We're learning together. Here's one thing I just would toss out there. I'm trying to be better daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, of taking time throughout the day, not a significant portion, but enough, to remember what my life was like before I was a Christian. Have you ever done that? Have you done it recently? Have you thought about what your life was like before you were a Christian? If you haven't, I would strongly encourage you doing so. Because I think we get this like amnesia when we become a Christian, because we've been forgiven. We've experienced the Spirit of God. We're plugged into a community that's constantly encouraging grace and forgiveness. And we love it, and you should. It's the way in which life was meant to be existed. Or, that wasn't a word. It meant to be lived. But, but then something happens. We totally forget what life was like before. So that when we come into a, rela- a situation, especially with someone who's not a Christian, like, we just, we've lost the paradigm to connect with them. It may not be that we don't want to meet them where they are. It's like we don't have the capacity to do so anymore. But one of the ways we can fight that is forcing ourselves to remember that what was my life like before I knew Christ? So that we can genuinely meet people where they are. But this is not the only way in which Paul in, invites us to care for people. I think it starts there, but it doesn't end there. And again, spoiler alert, it gets a bit more difficult. So we start with meeting people where they are, and as we're meeting them where they are, we have to choose transparency. This is difficult, and this is really hard. Look what he says in verse 15. What then has become of your blessedness, or your happiness, or your joy? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? So the happiness and the joy that Paul had for both the Galatians, uh, excuse me, that the Galatians had for Paul and his message upon his arrival has been gone. It's gone. The same people that would have given him his most precious possessions, including their own eyes, Paul says, probably being hyperbolic, but nevertheless, The point is there. Now, they're no longer willing to do that. They've had a heart change. Others have come in, and they've embraced them, and it's distorted the view of the gospel. It's distorted their view of Paul, and now Paul is left with two different options. Both of them options that we have probably chosen for ourselves in situations like this. The first option is you just leave. They don't like me anymore. They don't like the message I'm bringing them. Just leave. 
That's a legitimate option. Maybe not the best option, but it is a legitimate option. But what happens if Paul does that? What happens if he leaves? Somehow, if he leaves, the contingency between Paul's care and affection for them is placed not on them, but it's placed on their reciprocating that affection. So ultimately, in a situation like that, who's, who's it really about? Well, it's about Paul. If he leaves, he shows that, hey, my, the, the point in which I was here to begin with was ultimately had more to do with me than it had to do with you. So maybe that's not the best option, but then he has another option. He can be transparent with them. And he can communicate disappointment, anger, frustration, truth. Not in a way just to, to be mean to them, per se, but in a way in which he can build an actual relationship. You understand, real relationships, transparency is the currency of real relationships. We know this to be true, and it makes it hard, but it's true nonetheless. Like, real relationships disagree. Like, real relationships fight about things. One of my favorite things about premarital counseling is telling couples, hey, it's okay to fight. In fact, if you're not fighting with each other, something is wrong. Because we fight for what? Things we care about. And we fight with people that we care about. Now, we can push that to extremes. It's super unhealthy, and that's not what I'm trying to do, okay, at all. But nevertheless, there is a way of fighting fair that is incredibly healthy in a marriage relationship. The key word there is fair. Maybe big, bold, italicized word there is fair. Nevertheless, like there's a place for that. Because we fight about, we're passionate about things that we care about. A marriage that has, has, has fights and, and, and fair fighting is less worrisome to me than a marriage that has no fighting and no communication. Because at that point... Indifference is a very scary thing. Paul is saying, no, 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 I genuinely care about you. So I'm going to fight for this. I'm going to tell you the truth because I want more for you currently in this situation than even you want for yourself. So I'm going to be transparent. I'm going to show you the inner workings of my life and, and the motives in which I'm interacting with you like this in hopes that you can see whether you like me or not, at the end of the day, I care about you. And I may be the only one that really does. Transparency has this ability to open up the motives in our lives like nothing else. That's why I think it really is the currency of a relationship where you're caring. Now, you can, this can be unhealthy, right? There's a difference between being transparent with someone and naked with someone. It's different. Transparency is about the other person. And I'm sharing things with you because it's for your benefit, Nakedness is just kind of you just vomiting on the other person and just sharing whatever without any consideration of how it's impacting them. That's not what we're striving for. We're striving for, Paul's inviting us to strive for being transparent. And the evidence that Paul has been transparent with them ultimately is in verse 12. Because how does he start verse 12 off? He says, I want you to be like me. Now, when religious people tell you, I want you to be like me, you need to in most situations, it's not an imperative, it's just, in most situations, we need to run away from that. That's scary. But Paul can say it because of what he follows it with. He says, be like me, why? Because I became like you. See, being like him, following him, is predicated on the fact that he became like them first. He opened up, he was transparent. This is my motives. I care about you. 
I want you to succeed. I want you to be the best possible gospel-centered version of yourself as God has designed you to be. That's my motive. That's what I want for you. Now, whether they take it or not is another thing, but being transparent is incredibly important. And lastly, about transparency. This is why transparency, I think, is most important, because words are not enough, especially especially if we look into our own lives and just the web of relationships that we have. And because my brain is always just wired thinking about, you know, my non-Christian friends and family members, like, let's go there for a second. Like, if any relationship in your life needs you to be transparent and open about your faith, it's your non-Christian friends and family. Like, they need to have access to see your inner core working so that the gospel is not just something you talk about, but they see it lived out on a daily basis. Like, that's a powerful testimony. That's why I think Tim Keller nails it when he says people, in regards to, in regards to Christians being transparent with non-Christians, he says people have to be able to look into our hearts and our lives to, to assess how we handle trouble, disappointment, and interruptions how we conduct our relationships, how we feel and act so whether they can see whether Christ is real and how the gospel affects our day to day. I don't know about you, but I have met, read many apologetic books, books on defending the faith and arguments and things like that. And they're convincing and they're fun and you know, it's great, great fodder for, you know, YouTube chat room stuff and stuff like that. I'll tell you that story another time. But, you know, and it's wonderful and it's glorious. But you know what is the greatest representation of the existence of the living God? When you're in the presence of someone who is just so enamored, whose life has been so altered. Like that, friends, is a testimony. Like that in and of itself is a defense there's a power to transparency that, that fuels our ability to care for people well, that we would do well to accept Paul's invitation and in embracing that. So we're meeting people where they are. We're being transparent with them as a way of fueling this currency. And then lastly, which is the most difficult, but it is possibly the most powerful a way in which Paul is inviting us to care for other people. And it's this, it's finding opportunities in hardship. Look at verse 17. He says, They make much of you, referring to the false teachers, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. Now, here in lies a really interesting thing that Paul is telling them. Because mind you, what I, one of the things I love about this passage so much is it's almost as if like Paul, if you've been with us throughout the book of Galatians, in the first four chapters, I mean, he's hammering, you know, he's like lawyer style, you know, like, hey, this is where you're wrong. It's, a very, it's very much attack, attacking of the mind. Not attacking, that's not the right word. Challenging of the mind. Like, hey, this is where you're missing the gospel from a very, very logical perspective. And it's almost as if in this section, he just puts the brakes on that and pauses. And he comes and he sits down with the people. And he says, listen, I've been reasoning with your mind, and now I need to reason with your heart because I need you to know I care about you that I genuinely care about you. And you're not hurting me in the process of the distortion. You're hurting yourself. I mean, he genuinely cares about him. And his point is, these guys in whom you've latched yourself to, they don't care about you. Like, you need to hear this. You need to know this. Like, they have an agenda and they have a goal. And to be fair, so does Paul. Paul has an agenda. Paul has a goal. 
You know, when we share, well, I won't go there, but he has, he, has, he has a goal with these people. And the question is, well, what's their goal? Their goal is to be made much of, either from a status perspective or whatever. whatever they're, they're getting something by these people aligning themselves with him. But that's not Paul's goal. Like, Paul's care for the Galatians has nothing to do with gaining any notoriety for himself at all. His motivation simply is that he wants them to love and to cherish the gospel. That's what he wants. Therefore, it doesn't add any merit or benefit to him whether they do it or not. That's not what he's there for, which puts him in an incredibly powerful position because he can love them. He can meet them where they are. He can be present with them. All the while, the contingency of the relationship doesn't depend on them even agreeing with him. And he can, he can, he can love them well. And here, I think, lies the quintessential heart of what it means to care for somebody else. Like, caring for someone else is not about getting anything for the carer. It's not about you getting something out of it. Now, I agree with St. Francis of Assisi. You do get something out of it. It feels good to care for people, right? But that's not primary. The primary reason you care for someone is so that the other person can experience the most flourished, wonderful, beautiful existence as possible. It's about them. It's not about you. To borrow a quote from, well, I won't do that. So Paul does this. He brings all of this home in a very powerful metaphor, trying to convince them that he genuinely cares about them. And boy, oh boy, does he use a great metaphor. In verse 19, he says, My little children, for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Now, why use this illustration? It's a little weird, right? It's less weird in 2023, but nevertheless, you know, in the ancient world, this is a weird metaphor to use, but it's also the perfect metaphor. It is absolutely, absolutely perfect. And here's why. I think one of the, one of the surprises, uh, surprise? When I became a parent, right, when Elisa and I became parents, um, <laughs> sorry, I didn't know one of them was going to be in here. The, the, <laughs> when, right, let me try, hang on. <laughs> Listen, I just want you to know, I'm stronger than every single person in this room physically. I can, so that, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Uh, okay, when I became a parent, when I, be, when I became a parent, I just was not expecting the very, very real, intense love for a thing that I had not spent any time with, right, at all. There's no other relationship. Now, if, if you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm saying, right? I can see nine in your head. If you're not a parent, you still can understand. Like, the there is this intense attachment from parent to child, and I didn't, I didn't even carry the child, right? But, but just it being my child, there's this intense, ferocious love that exists in that relationship, and I don't know if there's another relationship in which it exists in that, in that speed, right? Like, like, we love other people, but we grow to love them. You know, we want to, we love them at a certain capacity where we would give our life for them even. But it takes time, this is instantaneous. 
And I remember talking with Elisa, like, I don't understand how in the world I love this child so much and so, so passionately. The first person I ever envisioned killing with my bare hands was the nurse. Three days later, when they had to draw her blood and some, like, when they took the needle out, there was some blood on the thing. I remember, I remember thinking, like, I'm about to go to prison. Like, I can, I can. And I, I, had, I, had known, I had known my daughter for like three days, right? And so, so I think one pastor summarizes that really well in ways in which I just, I think it's so true. And it's this, the moment you become a parent, maybe not the moment, but very closely afterwards, when the realization hits you, your heart is severed in a significant way. And for the rest of your life, that severed piece of heart, that significant portion of your heart, it lives outside your body. So where when you're looking at that child and they're happy, you're happy. When you're looking at their frustration, you're frustrated. You look at them succeed and you're, you're succeeding on the inside, why? Because it's your heart. Paul is looking at the Galatians and he's saying, look, I've already explained to you rationally why you're making such a grave mistake but let me tell you, you're also breaking my heart. Because at the end of the day, I care about you. And I care what you believe because I want what's best for you. This is not a power play. You know me. I've been vulnerable with you. I've been transparent with you. And so he's looking at this opportunity of hardship where these people have come in and said, no, 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 there's a different gospel. He's looking at that and he's trying to make an opportunity out of it. He's saying, look at the way they've cared for you and look at the way I'm caring for you. If for no other reason, trust me, you are my heart. Now, we, we, we read this passage, and we say, yeah, okay, fine. But this, you know, this is Paul, the apostle. He's like super Christian, right? Of course he can care for people like this, meeting them where they are, being transparent, looking for opportunities and hardship. Sure, of course he can do that. But my friends, there's a reason why he's able to do it. And the same reason Paul has is available to us as well. The only reason Paul can do this, model this, and also pursue this, is because he has received the ultimate care of God himself. God the Father in Jesus Christ wraps himself in flesh. He leaves his heavenly realm and he meets us exactly where we need to be met. He lives transparently, he turns all sorts of problems into possibilities, and at the end of his life, He's betrayed, he's condemned to die, and he's crucified on a cross. And here's the astonishing thing. The one who cared better for people than any other person who, ever, who will ever live willingly gives his life away to the most heinous, heinous, careless acts of evil that's ever been committed. And we look at his life and we, re- we say, why? Why would he do that? Do you know why I did that? For you. And for me. That we would look back at the cross and his resurrection without any doubt that God who created us, who sustains us, cares more about us than we could ever imagine. See, the more that we ascend to that, the more that moves us and grips us, the more we're able to look at these relationships in our life that need caring, and we can say, you know what, I can be present with you. I can meet you where you are. I can learn to be transparent. I can find opportunities and hardship. 
not because I'm a great person or because I'm trying really hard, but because God has met me in those places. He has satisfied me, he has forgiven me, he has brought me back to his family, and his spirit lives in me. So this hard thing of caring he's calling us to do, he also supplies us with the desire and the ability. Here's my prayer for me, for my family, for us as a community, that beyond having just a marvelous, beautiful property with amazing disc, disc golf and you know, the most wonderful playground for children of all time, like beyond all that stuff, my prayer is this, that we would be known in this community as a church who deeply, truly, passionately cares for people. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for being good and gracious. Father, we thank you for Jesus who has given us the most caring act in giving his own life, that we might be forgiven, that we might be made new. Father, you call us and invite us to be caring agents, and Lord, it's hard, and I have failed billions of times. So Lord, I ask that you would help us, teach us as a community what this looks like. Father, that your glory might be renowned, and that our witness to you uh, would bear much fruit. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.